Hey everyone, welcome back to the BME Grad Podcast. I'm Allie and my co-host is Brian. Just a reminder that after today's episode, we have one more we're looking forward to to wrap season two. As always, we appreciate a follow, subscribe, rate, or review. That helps more folks like you find our show. And thank you to those that have already. Today's guest is Madhu Jayaraman. Madhu is a design control systems engineer at Intuitive. You've probably heard of their DaVinci surgical system. Intuitive is a technology leader in minimally invasive care and the pioneer of robotic assisted surgery. In the interview, Madhu talks about her role and how she supports intuitive teams in building design traceability matrices, as well as what it was like to make a career move across the country. Listen in. Well, thank you for joining. Um, it's really good to see you again. Yeah. And where um, are you based in California? I'm in Sunnyvale, Santa Clara, around that area. So basically, um, like where the main uh, like corporate office of Intuitive is, that's where I am. Yeah. 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 Like Santa Clara and Sunnyvale, it's kind of like in the middle, like smack dab in the middle of like California, I feel like. Yeah. In the, in the sense, like, if you're looking at, like, from west to, like, east of California, like, it's more in the middle. Yeah. Of the yeah. Gotcha. Nice. Well, um, you mentioned Intuitive. I know you work there because I talked to your LinkedIn post-graduation. <laughs> and I think that's so cool because I've always, I've followed Intuitive since I, like, started class in BME. Um, I rem- I feel like we had a speaker come in from that company at one point to one of our courses. Right. And... I just like, I think when you think about like surgical robotics, you think of intuitive. And so they were like one of the first companies I followed in that space and tried to keep an eye on. So super cool that you're working there. It'd be awesome to hear like what they do and what they're most known for, uh, just for those listening. Yeah. Yeah. So intuitives, like its motto is basically like enhancing, um, like minimal, like invasive care is mm-hmm. just ensuring that like um, with the surgical robots that they like, like, you know, build, it's helped patients or it helps, um, doctors to, you know, provide like minimally invasive care. So that's, Mm -hmm. it's motto basically. Um, and yes, it is very famous for, um, it's, uh, the Vinci system. And right now we have like multiple platforms out, like there is X, there's XI for DaVinci and, uh, depending on the DaVinci, it it can vary. So we have one that's SP, um, also known as single port, where it's only it only has one hand. Whereas compared to your, I think what most people would know as DaVinci, it has multiple hands. Yeah, I was gonna say I remember yeah. seeing like eight or ten on that thing. <laughs> yeah, so there are different um, um, versions of the DaVinci. So gotcha. it can be either like multiple hands or just one hand. So. Um, and its main product was the uh, DaVinci with multiple hands until only, I think, a couple of years ago did um, Intuitive release the DaVinci for just single port, so just one port. It's been around for a long, long time, actually. Yeah. That's interesting because I would have thought one hand came before several. Do you know why like single port was released after the multiple hand one is out? I mean, um, I could see someone preferring it, but right. yeah. From yeah. what I remember, like the discussion, it was it, it was mainly to um, do certain types of surgery was gotcha. the single port, I guess, compared yeah. to the one with multiple like ports out. 
um that was the main reason i think for single port but yeah this one this one was like recently like really as compared to the multi-port yeah okay yeah um so you're in california in santa clara what other locations does intuitive have uh that you know of yeah so i do have um people that so i mainly work with people around the united states so there are multiple branches there is one um actually in north carolina uh, right. in the rtp area um and besides just i mean all over the us there are multiple branches there is also actually a branch in mexicali and we actually have people that work even in europe and actually i know there is a team in israel so awesome all over all over the world and um as far as i know i remember like looking at intuitive's um like site and i mm -hmm. think it said like there are about 70 different countries that use the divinci so that's great i'm i would think that we just have branches like all over yeah so how did you become interested in intuitive i would say it's more of like a past experience like i yeah. do you remember was it BME 101 where we basically it was just a, like a chill class where they, I think they talked about just what BME is and then like they had like different companies they were talking about and I think one of them was intuitive and it I, I guess from there and then I also saw the video where the robot was like surgically like stitching a grape back um it's a pretty popular video if you go on YouTube and just say like Mm -hmm. robot stitching a grape you will yeah. see the just <laughs> a grape. so i remember seeing that video and i i feel like it was more of a gut feeling i just saw it and i was like wow this is like really cool like as a freshman in college i was like i i would never think we have something like this like right released um so i think from there i started kind of keeping intuitive as a company like the back of my mind it's mm -hmm. always been like sort of like a dream to kind of work there. So I guess since freshman year, I've been like freshman year undergrad, I've just been interested in the company. Gotcha. So they were one of your, one of the like foundational companies of, of the space of BME that you like yeah. heard of and like saw the really cool tech. And then they just like yeah. kind of kept being top of mind, like popping up in other classes and networking experiences. Yeah. Okay. That happened for me too, but at a later stage with intuitive, okay. I don't think I heard about them till like probably junior year, um, with one of the speakers. Cause I didn't take that course. Um, so okay. how'd you get connected with them? Yeah. So before actually joining intuitive, I was working with another company called Offney systems. It's a, um, it, it's a company that basically supports in, um, building validation packages for, um, other like companies that want their like software application systems to be validated. Um, with that company, I was. I liked what I did in the sense that we did a lot of user interface testing, um, but I wasn't necessarily, I didn't feel like as a company, I fit in like mm -hmm. with the environment. So I guess from there, I was working for about like six or seven months before I started thinking like, maybe I should switch and, you know, go somewhere else. And um, I was looking at different, you know, jobs. And during that time I was talking to someone and that person knew someone at Intuitive. It was like, oh, I know someone who works at Intuitive. She might be able to, you know, you know, refer you to like um, any job that you're interested in. I was like, sure. Um, so she had contacted me 
and was like, hey, I know someone who, you know, is looking out for, you know, a project coordinator. Do you want to, you know, do, can I refer you? Uh, like I, I like sent her my resume. She's like, can I refer you? I think it would be a good fit. Yeah. I was like, sure. So from there, I was able to like get an interview with the hiring manager and I got the job. I, so what happened was I actually flew to California for the interview. Right. Um, and this was around um, Jan or Feb of 2020. Um, and then once I, I, I think like within a week, I get a call saying that he got the job. Mm-hmm. And so end of Feb, I fly. I just like move in end of Feb. I was able to get a place and everything. Wow. That's fast. Pretty, it was pretty quick. I was like, oh, okay, this is like, everything's like working out for me. Yeah. And then <laughs> uh, like um, within the first two weeks, um, like I'm in office and everything's great. And then they were like, pandemic hits, like mm-hmm. time to work from home. So it was right before the pandemic hit was okay. when I started like working at Intuitive. So that was around like March of 2020. Mm-hmm. So. All right. So I want to talk about that move after, but first okay. I want to hear about what you've been doing at Intuitive. So what was your first role as a project coordinator? What was, what did that involve? As a project coordinator, I kind of, I wore a lot of hats as a project mm-hmm. coordinator, but the main sort of responsibility I had was to support the project managers. Um, and so basically the role of a project manager is they would have um, a product, something, a feature, a product, something would be either updated or would need to be updated, upgraded, or something new had to be released. Like um, on the DaVinci or like on, on the DaVinci. Okay. It, it, I, it, it did vary because uh, right now Intuitive does not, it's not only the DaVinci that's right. Intuitive um, mm-hmm. is releasing as a platform. There are other products out. The team that I was working on or working with, it involved more of, um, system specific like um like digital specific um product so not exactly um like da vinci per se but more of like the software side of things um for for the da vinci you mean for the da vinci gotcha okay software side of things for the da vinci so project managers have like features or changes they're trying to make to the software side of the da vinci and you're doing what for them so I was more of the person that handled the documentation side of things. Gotcha. So because the project managers just had a bunch of things on their plate, they have to kind of build their timeline, scheduling. They have to talk to stakeholders. They have to ensure that they're like, everything is going smoothly. Everything finishes on time. Mm-hmm. And at the end, like obviously the feature or the upgrade is released. Um, in order to sort of, you know, alleviate their load project coordinators are in charge of documentation work a lot of times so we depending on the type of project that you're working on it if it's like a new release versus like um you know an update to an already existing release Mm -hmm. your the process that you go through varies um if it's a new release there there are more phases and there are more documents involved in each phase uh compared to a shorter release where it's or compared to a more of like an upgrade or an existing change less documentation stuff so depending on the process i would look at the timeline and i would see what documents need to be um created or upgraded and then or updated and then you know released and like 
validated, sort of verified by our like quality crew um, and approved and just make sure the phases are going by um, documentation wise. So I did a lot of documentation work. I was basically a documentation engineer, I guess. Um, but I guess my role wasn't, I didn't, it didn't involve too much of like writing the documents. It was more of like um, ensuring that the document exists and I have processed it for approval. Um, so that was a lot of my role um, as project coordinator. And, you know, within like, one like um, time period, I remember having like eight to 10 projects. So each project had a process with different phases. So um, I was in charge of the documentation for that main project. So it it was a lot, but yeah, I, I guess that's like the basic um, gist of how my role was as a project coordinator. Yeah. yeah, that's good. And then, so you were in that role for like a year and then you transitioned to your current role or what was the timeline following that? Yeah, I was a project coordinator from what, uh, about two years before I switched. So 2020 till end of 20, till like December of 2021. So about two years before I switched to being a design control systems engineer in 2022. And then, so is that like the natural progression of the project coordinator to be um, the design control system engineer or? It was a pivot. It was, okay. it's not, so typically for project coordinators, the natural jump would either be to um, level up in being a project coordinator. So there's like level one, two, three, four, it keeps going. And then there's like senior project coordinator. But you can also go from project coordinator to being a project manager. So that jump is also there. Um, for me, this is more of a complete um, pivot from one, I wouldn't say, yeah, basically one team to another, basically. So I, and it's like a pretty much a role switch. I'm not working as like, I don't track documents anymore. I don't do any of that work. I. I work in, I actually now work with an internal tool that the company uses. So I don't know if you recall in undergrad, during senior design, we had um, basically a tool that we used to track the current or track the design control workflow, which was like, you have your user needs, design inputs, design outputs, verification, validation, and design and transfer risk matrix like tied into all of that. Exactly. Yeah, right. So the tool that we currently use at Intuitive um, basically supports owners. It it's basically supports document owners to build their documents within the tool. And so let's say you have risk documents, requirements, specs, test cases, mm -hmm. and the tool is there to support building a traceability matrix from your risks to your test cases. Okay. So um, my role is basically working on that tool and ensuring that it's um, sort of accommodating to or adhering to the design control process that we currently have at Intuitive. And um, whenever there are, you know, changes uh, done to like documentation or procedures, um, like the tool itself, like accommodates for all of that as well. So we do a lot of... Um, development work of that tool yeah um, and we also actually do a lot of 
user support um, where other users will come and say, hey, I don't know how to like, you know, build uh, my document in this tool. Like, can you help me? Or like, I don't know how to create these things. Can you help me? So mm -hmm. we support them as well. It's basically like digitizing the design history file, right? Like, is so that... this, well, so this is more of, it's not necessarily a DHF. Um, okay. This is more to help build um, your traceability matrix. Okay. Um, and design history. So there are, so there are two different tools. Um, it's used more for building the documentation that would be submitted for approval. So it's not necessarily, um, it doesn't necessarily maintain a DHF per se. Mm -hmm. We have another tool that actually is used for um, when you're processing your documents. That's the tool that we use for like approvals and building it, design history file and so on and so forth. So we do have right. a different tool for that. Okay. Um, this one is more in support of um, actually building all your risk items, your requirements, your specs and your test cases, and then ensuring that you're linking all of those and building your trace matrix. And, you know, you would submit that trace matrix to say like, hey, like, these are my, you know, user needs. I've like validated all of them, or these are my like design inputs. I've verified all of them. Right. So, and this is the trace matrix that proves it. So the tool helps with that, basically. Gotcha. Okay. What does a traceability matrix include for like, uh, say like a new, say Intuitive is going to develop a new robotic arm attachment that goes onto the main DaVinci device. Yep. Yep. And we're designing this from, from zero and we're using your tool to do this. So we're developing our traceability matrix through your tool. What are the different things we're going to be like inputting into here and thinking about? We have design failure mode risks. We have usability risks. Um, what else is there? Uh, clinical risks, um, software hazard risks. So depending on the type of risk document, you mm -hmm. build your work items, your items and IDs as is. So, and from there you would build um, your requirements. So you'd have a requirement document, uh, depending on whether you need to mitigate those risks or not, you would build your requirements. Um, and from there you would link your requirement to your risk. You would say, okay, this uh, requirement that I've created um, needs to go to this specific risk. So. Uh, the tool allows you to link it um, and it will be linked in a certain way. Uh, you would have like a, uh, is mitigated by link. It'll, it'll showcase it, is mitigated. So uh, this risk is mitigated by this requirement and each right. um, risk and requirement have their own unique I like IDs in the tool. And then from there, like uh, you would build your specs. So your specs will also have unique I like IDs and then you link your specs to your requirements right and then from there you have your test cases and so, oh wait pause i need to catch up so this <laughs> this spec is uh linked how would it be linked to a requirement uh it'll be like a you can so the term we would say is like it's yeah. is satisfied so your requirement is satisfied by the spec that you have created for it Got so it. typically your requirements are not um you're sort of, I'm not going to call them vague, but they're fairly basic. Yeah. Um, and they're not super quantitative, quantitative, sorry, quantitative. Yeah. And whereas your spec 
will be more detailed. It'll actually have like quantitative right. like information on what it's um, satisfying. And then you can go one level further and you would have test cases. Now for test cases, um, again, they'll also have their own individual IDs and it will vary. It can vary between having a verification test case versus a validation test case. Mm. For verification test cases, it's addressing the design input. So you verify that your spec works as is quantitatively. Like it will have some sort of distinct like thing you would have to test. So your verification would test that. And then you can go one level further and you have validation test cases too. Your validation test cases will verify the user needs. It's like, have we addressed the requirement on its own? Yes yeah. or no. And yeah. then so, and that's where you have like your whole, the flow chart at the same time. And, and basically that's, that's how the tool works. So I'm more of the person who supports the users in explaining this process mm-hmm. because a lot of users will will be focused on like a specific niche like they will be solely focused on like risks in their like in the whole entire design like product development aspect they'll probably only be focused on the requirements or someone is only a verification test engineer and does not worry about anything else so yeah uh, when it comes to traceability or linking i would be the one to like kind of tell the users hey you need to trace this up to your specs or you need to trace this up to requirements okay so um what's your role like like what are you doing on a day-to-day week-to-week basis and what are some of your projects that you work on yeah so i work a lot with user support most of the time um Basically, like if a user just comes and it's like they usually send an email to us saying that I, I don't know how to work with this tool. Yeah, I need support in um, adding these like new items to my document. Can someone help me? Or mm-hmm. um, and we have different like um, processes, like in small processes that we have created to help the users. Um, sometimes like the user won't even know how to work with that, so we would help them with that. Gotcha. Um, we also do a good amount of um, feature testing and like kind of development work of the tool. Mm-hmm. So if at any point like procedures or operating procedures have changed, we want to make sure that the tool addresses or like accommodates for those changes. And sometimes it could be very minor, like, oh, uh, we noticed um, the operating procedure for um, what is required for design verification documents now ask for this field to also be included, but you know, the tool doesn't allow for that. So can we add a, like a, a new field for this? So a lot of like, we would have like minor changes that would be done within the tool to accommodate for any like changes that were done to our documentation. And so that's another part of my role. That's something I would support. Mm-hmm. And along with that, we also do bigger development work. So recently we um, included a option to um, allow for like electronic testing. Usually the process is they would build the document in like the protocol uh, in the tool submitted for approval. Once it's been submitted for approval, 
uh, and everything has been verified, they would take the document, print it out, and they will test it and they will like check off every test case to like verify or validate it. And it's all handwritten. Mm-hmm. Now the tool allows for electronic testing. Nice. So that was just one new like thing that we like added. Yeah. Awesome. So what's the next step for you? Like, do you, if you progressed on your current path, what would be like the next step? I feel like with my current role, I have probably only learned maybe 25% of it in the sense that like, I'm great at doing that 25%, but mm-hmm. the other 75%, I know a little bit of, or I'm still not aware that I can do or should do. Like literally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Always room to grow. There's a lot of room to grow, I feel like, as a design control systems engineer. So I feel like my next step would, right now I'm a level two, so my next step would just be going to a level three. How many levels up does it go? So right now, after level three, it'd be senior. Okay, gotcha. So right now, I think that after senior, you would just kind of stay there for quite a bit of time before you get any sort of jump in the role so you moved across the country here i want to go back to to where i put a pin in it earlier so yeah you were based here in raleigh we were both at unc doing the undergrad bme program and then um i think you said you worked in the area for a while and then you moved to california and i have had folks and and you're living there now um so I've had folks reach out to me saying like, hey, you know, I want to take a job across the country. I don't know how to find companies there. I don't know if it's going to be a good move. Like that's such a, that's so much change, especially if like a lot of people that go to UNC are from the area too. That's a huge change. Um, so I know that's like probably a broad uh, statement there, but like what are your general thoughts on like moving across the country for work? Just some things to look out for in terms of, when should you and should you not make that move? Um, what are some things you need to consider like personally and professionally when you make that move? I would say like, if you want, you know, the opportunity to explore, you should move, I would say. Mm-hmm. Just because like, um, I know there's always that feeling of it's nice to be in your like safe comfort zone, but it's always better to just, you know, expand your horizons and try different things, try new things. And mm-hmm. for me, especially like I, I was nervous in moving. I, I would always support the opportunity to like go out and explore. And like, you know, if you, if you want to like, you know, travel and like, you know, live in a different area, I, that's always, I think that's always a great thing. I, I don't think I've found anything negative about it personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess in terms of like, when to do it like whether you should or should not i i would always say like um it's always nice to make sure you're financially stable in some way before moving mm-hmm. um i would say the pandemic in some way while it kind of sucked it i was able to save up a good amount of money before moving back mm-hmm. so because of that like i was pretty much like safe in the sense that like oh if anything happened like at any cost like oh my gosh like like with especially with the way the market is right now mm-hmm. and with how the economy is like if at any point like I lost my job okay I have like like six months worth of savings like still there so I don't have to worry too much about like struggling um financially I mean especially for someone who's 
who has social anxiety, but I'm saying like, you should move and like try and explore. Like, yeah, you, I, it's a good change. It'll be a great change. Cool. This is a new one for our show. So I really appreciate the time and, and you going through all that and bearing with me as I asked you redundant questions. <laughs> no, you're good. No, this is great. I, I'm, I'm really like, I, I like this podcast a lot. Like I, I feel like if we had this podcast, like when we were in undergrad, like it would have helped me a lot in like just knowing what's out there. So this is great. Yeah, me too. That's the goal. Appreciate yeah. that. And as always, you can find more information on us, listening platforms, and links to all our social at the BMEgradpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.